0: today we're celebrating our 25th anniversary as a church um, yeah we want to, we're gonna do a lot of clapping today we have some people in our church that have been here since the very beginning of faith community like from the very first Sunday in the June in June of 1997 Um None of us really knew what we were getting ourselves into, including your founding pastors. Like, we didn't know. We were just like, let's give this thing a shot. There was so much we hadn't figured out. um, And we loved those first couple years of having tons and tons of really long uh, discussions about what our values and priorities were going to be. But all through that, there was this group of people that were our core who just stayed with it from day one. And I think they deserve a little extra recognition for 25 years. So I'm going to name them, and if they can stand, that'd be great. I mean, after 25 years of this they're doing well to stand. So, uh, <laughs> Craig and Christy Cousins, Bob and Barb, Crossweight, myself and my wife, Alethea, uh, Ben Crossweight, um, and I'm counting Aaron Francis in that. She actually technically arrived two months later, uh, but uh, I'm counting her. <laughs> uh, Drew Crossweight, where's Drew back there? Uh, Dwayne and Debbie Decker, Rachel Decker, who's over there. Hi, Rach. Uh, Lucy Greenwald. Uh, Bobby Ingerson and Kitty Johnston, who are not able to be with us uh, in person. They're often with us online, and uh, we consider them a part of us still. Paul Allures, uh, Carol Smart, and uh, Jeff and Nancy Warner, and Mark. I'm hoping I got everybody who's been here all the way through. Little special recognition, though, I just don't want to uh, overlook Dan and Gail, who almost made it to 25 and then Florida called. So, But Stan, <laughs> cause they put their 25 years in and about 23. So, um, so 20 plus founding members of our church who hung with us through the whole thing, uh, which means that the other 248 of you came along somewhere in the journey, and we're so glad that you did, and we're thankful for everybody who calls faith community home and are giving yourselves to this, to the vision and the mission that Jesus has called us to. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. Every week, we post an event in the Bible app. You can find us there this morning. If you're a Bible app user, uh, you'll find some notes to go along with this morning's teaching. If you've already opened that up, you've noticed wait, two sermons? That's right. It's a big day. Two sermons today. Two short uh, messages, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, Here's Pastor Bob.
1: In the great book of Joshua. There's a story of the Israelites marking a moment together. That's what we're doing right now. In Joshua chapter 4, if you so choose to go there in your Bible or in your app, Moses has died and now there's a new leader named Joshua. And Joshua's job was not to lead the Israelites through the wilderness after they escaped from slavery in Egypt. Moses had already done that. Joshua's job was to take them from the very edge of 40 years in the wilderness and on into the promised land. And to do that, they had to get across the Jordan River. And so we pick up the story at that point In fact, they just made it over to the other side, and now they're reflecting, now they're remembering, now they're celebrating what God has done. And that's where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Now, if you read the Bible and you're, and you're thinking as you read and you come across a, a text like this and you say, oh yeah, well, okay, that's the Bible, of course. They're standing in the middle of the Jordan River. You may think nothing of it. But I don't want you to skip past those words. They are standing in the middle of the Jordan River, and that just is not normal. The Israelites crossed the Jordan at a very specific location, and it's about 90 to 180 feet across, depending on just where they are along the river, depending on the time of year as well. So I mean, let's take 90 feet, that isn't bad, that's about as wide as this room is you can probably see yourself rolling up your pant legs and kind of wading through that, right? It's No big deal. Oh, I forgot to tell you, but it's also about 17 feet deep, right there. So that's six feet higher than our ceiling. That's, uh, and, and that's deep, that's 17 feet is deep, and And these are people who lived, remember now, they've just lived in the desert for 40 years. It's not like they went to the beach on the weekends and they were used to a lot of water. They probably weren't very comfortable actually around a big body of water like this. So let's just say none of them took swim lessons at summer camp. They just had 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. And, of course, they had all heard the stories about how their parents and their grandparents had crossed the Red Sea. And that was obviously a very dramatic story, and I'm sure with every telling it got more dramatic. And now they're kind of reenacting that same scene. So here they are again. It's not the Red Sea, but it's a river 17 feet deep, and the current is probably flowing at about 10 miles per hour. And they're standing there, And God is saying, okay, this is it. This is the spot. You need to go over to the other side, and they're thinking, we're all going to die. We just came out of 40 years in the desert, and Moses brought us that far, and now we're going to step out here and die. And God says, tell you what, this is how confident I am that you'll be fine. So let the priests go first. They won't mind. And so the priests make their way to the water's edge and they're carrying, by the way, the the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and that represents the presence and power of God. And when the priests' feet touch the water, immediately the current stopped running. Somehow the water stopped flowing upstream and it slowed to a trickle and then it stopped and they walked over on dry ground. Think about it. Just sit there for a moment. Let it sink in. This is the generation of Israelites who had heard the story of the crossing and heard it over and over and over. The crossing of the Red Sea. They'd heard it from their parents. They'd heard it from their grandparents. And they had to be thinking, sure, I'm sure that's how it happened, Dad. Yep, I'm sure you walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, Grandpa. I'm sure it happened just like that. Hmm. But now they're walking across the Jordan River with their own kids. And they're thinking, hmm, that Red Sea story. Yeah, I guess maybe it did happen. So now they're trying to figure out what to do with all this. God says in verse 3, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out, pile them up in a place where you will camp tonight. So what did they do? They picked up these stones from the dry river bed of the Jordan. They're carrying these stones around and they're looking for a place to camp for the night. Next verse, 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all. One for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use those stones to build a memorial. Because in the future, hear this very carefully church, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? See, Sometimes God moves in us on a personal level. I'm thankful that he does. Sometimes he moves in us in an organizational level, like within a church, within a community. And when God moves, it is important to mark the event. It's important to remember, and here's why. Because we all tend to forget. Hi. Some of you have been looking at video, at some pictures here this morning, and you're seeing a picture, maybe of yourself, and you say, oh, I forgot about that. It is so easy to forget. And when we forget, we begin to wonder if God will come through. Can we really trust Him to do it again? And we worry because we've forgotten God's faithfulness to us In the past. And the next generation, they'll ask, Well, what do these stones mean? So here's what Joshua says in verse 7. Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Verse 8. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and they constructed the memorial there, which brings me and brings us to today. Brings us to this very moment. And it's so, so very important. We talk about the move of God in our church or in our community. Let me ask you, when have you personally experienced the faithfulness of God in your life? You probably have to think back. You probably have to think right now on purpose. Think about it for just a minute. When have you personally experienced the faithfulness of God? How has God demonstrated that faithfulness to you on a personal level? And how do you mark it? What do you do intentionally to keep the memory of God's past faithfulness in your personal story, keeping that alive? Now there's wisdom here in this story, not only for us as a church, but for all of us as individuals and as couples and as as families, uh, family units We should give some thought to what we can be doing on a regular basis to remember, underscore that word, God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe it's around, for you, family celebrations like birthdays and anniversaries and holidays where quite often the family gathers. But whatever that looks like for you, it's important that we take time to remember God's faithfulness in the past as a reminder that we can count on his faithfulness in the present, today, and in the future to come. And in the future to come. Now there's no doubt that as a church, as a community of Jesus followers, we have seen the faithfulness of God in action throughout our story for 25 years. That's a quarter of a century. And sometimes we just need to stop think, and remember. And we need to do this on purpose. We need to be intentional about it. That is, that's what makes a healthy spiritual practice reflecting on the faithfulness of God in the past. And maybe you find that challenging. Maybe the struggles of the present day are clouding out the faithfulness of God in the past. So how how do you remember? What do you want me to remember, Pastor? I mean, the past was... Good, but what I'm going through now, how do you do it? Well, I'd say for the most part, we don't. That's the problem. We don't do it. No, we forget. And unless we're, I'm going to use this word, intentional, we forget. Because that's just human nature. So I want us to remember this this morning. Because I think that this is the big idea that God was trying to convey to the Israelites through Joshua and through the exercise of building a memorial. And here it is, that God's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence in his faithfulness in the future. Let's all say that together. Can you read that on the screen? Let's all say it together. God's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence in His faithfulness in the future. Wow. Wow. If you can see and remember God's faithfulness in the past, in your personal story, in a shared story, in the church life story, His faithfulness in the past will give you confidence in His faithfulness for the future. And we need to know ourselves well enough, and we as a church need to know who we are well enough to know that we do tend to forget. We do. So marking it just helps us to remember. That's the value in doing what we're doing today. It's about a barbecue. It's about a fun time. It's about looking at pictures. It's about seeing people we haven't seen in a while or maybe not ever before. But it's, more, it's about more than that. The value in what we're doing today to mark this day and remember this, that God's faithfulness in the past reaffirms and renews our confidence in His faithfulness in our future. Because here's the thing for faith community right now, this is a good season. We're going through a good season. We're healthy, we're growing, we have lots of young families Oh, bring them on. We have established, trustworthy leadership. We have a vision for the future. That's all good, and it's a good season, but tough seasons come too. And they will come. And there'll be seasons of church life where we won't always feel like celebrating God's faithfulness. Why? Because we lose sight of it and that's why as much as we like to focus on the now and the hey what's next that's why we'll continue to press pause from time to time as a church to remember to refocus to recalibrate yeah and to remember yes god's faithfulness in the past because it's often in the practice of uh, hear this and i'll be done It's often in the practice of celebrating God's past faithfulness that we deepen our confidence in God's faithfulness in our future. Let's just bow for prayer and thank God for these truths. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the multitudes of blessings that you've heaped upon us as a church body in the past. Hearts that have turned to you. Lives that have transformed. Families restored. More than 200 obediently following our Lord in believers' baptism. Faithful servants, each finding their place of ministry peace, joy, love, blessing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of this. The thrill of lifting our spirits and our voices as we worship and give praise to our Creator. Even through trying or difficult times, and those days will come. We're going to thank you right now for your faithfulness in our past how you've always, always been right there with us. And so, Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We're excited today to see what you're doing, to see what you're going to do, and to know what you have done already. We're just so blessed. We're just so visited by your power. And today, may your Holy Spirit bring home these truths in a great way. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. For we pray these things with thanksgiving and gratitude in the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: You never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. So God. goodness of God.
0: Twenty-five years ago, we looked around the city of Ellsworth and greater Ellsworth and realized that there are a lot of solid churches, but we didn't feel like there were a lot of churches designed with unchurched people in mind. So we decided that What the Apostle James said in response to this big controversy in the first century church over who the church was for, what James said was absolutely right and a lot of churches were missing it. It, it, The question is, is the church for church people or is the church for unchurched people? Is the church for people who get it, can follow the rules, or is it for people who just need to know what it is to be forgiven and to experience the grace of God? So James, the brother of Jesus, stood up in that first church meeting, and here's how he concluded his message. And he said this in Acts 15. He said, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, he said, let's not complicate it. Let's not make it too formal. Let's keep it simple. Let's make it as easy as possible. Let's make sure the bottom rungs are on the ladder. Let's make it as easy as possible for people who are turning to God to understand that God has done something unique in our midst. So in 1997, we decided we were going to create a church that unchurched people would love to attend. A church without all the politics and the policies and power struggles. A church that wasn't all about itself. I went back this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I read some of the, my notes from those early uh, leadership meetings. Here's what I wrote in the summer of 1997. We've not been commissioned to build a church. Our purpose is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, into a growing, life-changing, value-shuffling relationship with Jesus. The church is a means to an end. We've been called to make disciples, and the church is a means to that end. The church is about the lost because the mission is not to plant a church. It's to make disciples, to bring people from unbelief to belief in a growing relationship with Jesus. We were criticized for that approach, mostly by people in other churches. Some people thought we were crazy. They were kind of right. And some people didn't like our theology, and they're entitled to that. Some people thought it was irreverent and sacrilegious to have church in a tennis court. What they didn't know is we were having children's ministry in the bar, but that was, you know, we didn't publish pictures of that. Thankfully, there was no Facebook then, so we was Some people didn't understand uh, how, uh, how uh, if we weren't a part of a denomination, then who gave us the authority? Like, who do you think you are? How can you just go out and start a church? And oh, and this one, aren't there enough churches in Ellsworth? But there was a group of some of you, and some of you are still around, but there was a group of some, and there was a group of us in the very beginning, and we decided we didn't really care, with all due respect, what church people said those people weren't our target. They had their church. They had their community. They had their thing. We decided that to reach people that nobody else is reaching, we would need to do some things that nobody else was doing. Because when you read the book of Acts, the reason the message of Jesus survived the first century, the reason it survived the destruction of the Roman Empire is because there was a group of people that was so extraordinarily bold, so extraordinarily confident. They were willing to say things and do things in ways that had never been said or done before. And they just wouldn't back down. We just, we just wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to be a part of that movement. We wanted to be part of the extension of what happened 2,000 years ago when the church began. So we decided if we're going to create a church that unchurched people love to attend, we're going to have to try some new things. We're going to have to take some risks. We're going to have to try some things that may fail. We're going to do lots of experimenting. Uh, we're going to have to do some things that nobody else is doing. Nobody else would, uh, has thought of doing. Maybe we haven't thought of it till just now, or maybe we haven't even thought it all the way through. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do away with some formalities. We're going to kill some sacred cows, like what worked last year might not work this year, and we're okay with that. We made biblical community a priority. It wasn't enough for us to just come in on Sundays, go to a church service together. We wanted to do life together. So we got real intentional about being involved in one another's lives. We got real intentional about avoiding the drift, the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. Every church over time drifts towards becoming focused on insiders. Like that's our default. And by insiders, I mean the people who are already there. They know the songs. They know where to sit. They know how to park. They know the deal inside and out. Like, this is our deal. These are our people. Every church naturally drifts towards becoming insider-focused. It's understandable. It's easy for churches to become totally insider-focused and focus on the people who are already there, the people who are paying the bills, the people who are doing the work, the people who complain the loudest. It's natural. But in order to be a church where we're the embodiment of grace and truth and not just one or the other, we've got to be intentional about avoiding the drift towards insiders and ignoring those on the outside. This drift often starts as a drift towards preserving rather than advancing. And this is so subtle. When Jesus came along and introduced the kingdom of God, he says, we're going to advance this kingdom, even if it gets messy, and it will. We're going to take risks, and we're going to do things, and we're going to accept people, and we're going to include people, and we're going to love people that are hard to love and hard to accept, but we will not make the mistake of allowing our desire to preserve, to override our mission and our passion to advance the kingdom. So we decided we have to do ministry this way open-handed. God gave it. God can take it. We're not trying to preserve anything. Like we want to be financially responsible. We want to be wise, but we don't want to get so comfortable that we quit taking risk because this isn't about us. This is about a community that, that doesn't know Jesus. This is about a community that has been burned and hurt by the church. So the last thing we can do is become risk averse because we're trying to preserve something. So we have to remain open-handed. I hope that we take more risks in the next generation, in our time together, than our church ever did at the beginning. We have more to risk. We have a lot more to risk than we did in the summer of 1997. We have more to lose, but we have more potential than ever before. Let's not become a church that accidentally drifts into a posture where we're trying to protect something as opposed to advancing something namely the kingdom of god so now in 2022 here we are celebrating 25 years in a healthy position dreaming about what's next for us realizing that we have been given a huge opportunity and now we have to ask this question what do we do with this opportunity because we believe the church is a really big deal for years we said that the church didn't launch as an institution The church certainly didn't launch as a building. The church launched as a movement a movement of people who flooded the streets of Jerusalem to say a couple months ago, if you'll remember, you guys crucified a guy named Jesus. He rose from the dead. He was crucified right outside those walls, but he rose from the dead. And we are eyewitnesses of the whole thing. And thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem embraced this simple idea that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the son of the living God, just as he said, and that God had raised him from the dead. And suddenly Jerusalem is flooded with people from all these surrounding communities saying God has done something unique among us God has done something unusual right here, and the word began to spread. And the word spread as the first century church prayed this in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They prayed. Here's their prayer. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. But somewhere along the way, that changed. Somewhere along the way, the church drifted. here's something I believe to be true. That there are lots of people in our community, maybe hundreds of people in our community, who would like to connect with God, but the church thing scares them to death. They've tried it, been there, done that, grew up in that, bothers them, scares them, it's irrelevant for them. And I get it, and their problem isn't so much with God as it is with the church. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there right now, and you're here for barbecue today. Thank you. The truth is, most of us have a story about church. Unfortunately, the primary obstacle for a lot of people in growing their relationship with God is actually the church. It's people like us. It might even be us. And that's a tragedy. The interesting thing is, when Jesus was on the earth, all those kinds of people that I've just described, like, love to be with Jesus... Everywhere he went to teach, the untaught, the doubting, the confused, the hurt, the bitter, whatever. They flocked to hear Jesus. They flocked to be with Jesus. And even though he eventually emerged as a religious leader, he did not spend time with religious people. The irreligious people flocked to him and the religious people were offended by him. It became very evident, as you read the Gospels, that Jesus didn't really fit with the religious people, and the religious people didn't fit with him, which was was even more sad. It was the sinners. It was the unchurched, if you want to use that word. It was the people like us who flocked to hear Jesus teach. And here's the amazing thing. As holy as he was, as righteous as he was, they were comfortable with him. As holy as he was, as righteous as he was, they enjoyed being with him. And I think that's pretty cool. And yet today, the average church is just the opposite. The irreligious, unbelieving, unchurched, de-churched, doubting, bitter, hurting, confused, don't want anything to do with church. And the real tra- tragedy is, like, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, The closest people will ever come to being with the physical Christ that you can see, feel, touch, and hear, the closest we'll ever get is the church. The church was left here to function as if the church were Jesus himself, and that's why the church is referred to in the New Testament as the body of Christ. So why is it that the church over the years devolved into something that in no way resembles what we find in the person of Jesus? Here's what happens. When a church develops environments or experiences that are no longer conducive or attractive or helpful to unchurched people, then unchurched people no longer show up. And when they don't show up, I have a sense that God is hesitant to show up too. Because he is as concerned, you could even argue with the teachings of Jesus, you could argue that maybe he's more concerned about the outsider than the insider, about the lost person than the found person. But it seems like the 21st century North American church has drifted so far away from God's intent for the church that sometimes it makes you wonder, does the church even really matter? Does the church really matter today? Like, is our message relevant? Like, ask this, if the church were to disappear, would it make any difference? In other words, does our message... Matter. Does our message really matter in this life? Like, does it make any difference if the church exists today? Has it made any difference in the world? Well, the answer is absolutely yes, historically, right? So, and, and, and in the current, like, I believe we are stewards of the message of a better life now. That Jesus provides for a better life now. The way of Jesus provides for a better life now. It's a church that says that everybody you are ever eyeball to eyeball with was made and fashioned in the image of God and has innate value. They have dignity. They have value. So does our message matter? Of course it matters. And the reason what we do is important is this. Because we have been given the stewardship of the message of a rich and satisfying and eternal life. We've been given stewardship of a message of what Jesus called rich and satisfying life, a better life, an abundant life, purposeful, meaningful life now and for eternity. So we dare not turn our backs to culture. I would say we dare not go to war with culture and just talk to ourselves because if ever there was a time in our lifetime when it's time for the church to just ramp up and amp up our message, the message of Jesus, and be engaged, and be engaged socially, and be engaged in our communities, and love our neighbors and our enemies, and to live out the radical values of Jesus' kingdom, I argue it's now. So let me ask again, what do we do with this opportunity? Because honestly, sometimes I wish I could be content with just coasting for a while, Oh, that would be, I wonder what it would be like. If Why couldn't we just coast? Like, Let's just take the summer and coast. We've already done some good stuff here. Let's just keep doing that. It feels pretty comfortable. We kind of like it. Yeah, we get warm fuzzies. Let's just keep doing that. Like we've asked people to serve and give and sacrifice and even get uncomfortable for a while. So maybe we can coast now. All right, I know the answer to that is no. I know better than to ask God if we have permission to do that, and here's why. And here's the thing I want you to get. If we don't get anything else, this is this is it. Because influence is a stewardship. Influence is a stewardship. If you have influence, you have something in your hand. And you got to decide what to do with it. Influence is a stewardship. And by God's grace and because of your hard work and because of your generosity and because you've been willing to try things maybe nobody else has done before, we as a church have been given an, given an awesome opportunity in the life of our community. And to be good stewards, we got to leverage it in a way that is completely God-honoring. So we're not going to rest and we're not going to coast and we're not going to just pat ourselves on the back. That's not what today is about. So our prayer is, God, now that you have uniquely positioned us, now that you have, we have all this opportunity, what do we do with this now? Like, how do we leverage this in a way so that when our time is over, when we hand the baton of this church to the next generation that it's in a far better place than it was, when it was handed to us, okay? How do we take advantage of this unique opportunity? How can we be good stewards of God, of what you've allowed us to steward as a church? Listen, we're going to ask you in the future to do things we haven't done before. We're going to keep instilling into the hearts of a generation of children that their love for God is to carry them beyond school and church with their parents. We're going to do everything we can to raise up a generation of teenagers that when they graduate from high school and go off to college, that they actually look for a church not only to worship in, but to do life in. We're going to keep investing in marriages. We're going to keep investing in individuals. We're going to keep doing some of the things we've done before, but we're going to try to do it better because we have more opportunity than we've ever, ever had before. As we move into this next part of our time together and our responsibility and our opportunity as a church, and since we're sitting in a former roller skating rink, here's what we need for you from you. We need this to be an all skate. Amen. You know what I mean? Everybody needs to be involved at some level. So for those of you who've been on the periphery and you've been enjoying the show and you've got your parking space marked out and you know where to sit so you can get out quick and you've figured out when the last song is so in the wintertime you get your coat on and you run for the parking lot so you can get the lunch before all the other church people get there. you got that all figured out. I just want to warn you. We've been talking about this lately. We've added nearly 60 people in the last two years. It's been two years now since we uh, reopened after the COVID shutdown. Remember that? Remember COVID? (laughs) We went to church online only for 11 weeks. And we're still doing church online. Good morning, guys. Thanks for being here. And when we we came back together, we were limited to uh, 50 people per service. So we had multiple services on Sunday mornings and we used a reservation system and we wondered, is this all even necessary? Like, like it's been so long now, we don't even, haven't seen some faces and like, do we even have 50 people left in our church? Like, isn't this taking a toll on our congregation? Like, who's even still with us? And what do you know? You stayed with us. And you jumped through hoops. Every week, got on a website and reserved a spot to come to church on Sunday. Some of you joined us during that time and then you found out later that isn't how we always did things. <laughs> And somehow you found your way here and you did the reserve your spot thing and you stayed around and you found a home here. During this time, all of our teaching was on video. Remember that? Most weeks we only had two services, but some weeks we had three. And so we decided to record the sermons in advance so that neither of us uh, would have to preach three times in four hours. So needless to say, during that time, there was massive potential for division and strongly held opinions and big egos. I've heard stories, even in our own community. But I believe the prevailing attitude within this church during that time was respect for one another. And that was manifested by this massive amount of deference. And all that to say, we actually grew in size during COVID. While we're doing multiple services, people actually used the reservation system and showed a ton of respect to all the protocols that we adopted, including even when the mask mandate was expanded to include churches. You're like, whatever, it's not about me. I'm going to respect people. When we returned to to one service with no capacity limits in April of last year, uh, about two months after that, we started to see this steady growth pattern. So here's the thing. When we talk in leadership circles of the church, we think we're taking this to a whole new level. It sure feels like it. So we need you to be involved. Because we believe, listen, we believe everybody spends forever somewhere. We believe Jesus is the hope of the world. We believe the church isn't a building. It's not an institution. It's a movement, and we want you to move with us. So this is the opportunity that as a healthy, vision-oriented, mission-driven church in Downey's Maine, in 2022, we can't miss this. It's not because we're special. It's not because we're better than anybody else. It's not because we're smarter, even though we might be. The question is... I'm just kidding, just kidding. The question is... I just want to see if you're still with me. The question is, are we going to be good stewards... Or are we just going to be content? So, here's what we need you to do. And this is just a reminder for some of you. This is brand new for others. If you're running, what have I gotten into? Here's what we need you to do. The early church prayed for boldness. We need to be bold. We're going to identify four areas. Number one, let's be bold in your inviting. We need you to be bold in your inviting. Some of us are having this conversation just like, during our sound check this morning about the people uh, who X number of years ago invited, 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 and finally said yes, and uh, we haven't been able to get rid of Garth since. So do you know <laughs> what I... Um, I don't know. what you're, Maybe you look through those, that photo album that's, that we just posted yesterday, or the slideshow uh, before church and after church, and you're like, you, you remember when someone just first invited you and you first came. So we need you to be bold in your inviting, and and here's what I mean. There are people that you've thought about inviting to church, and you still haven't done it. I I just want to challenge you to ramp up your boldness. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you quit inviting, if it just becomes like church people here, we will slowly, over time, become a very, very insider congregation. And no matter how big we ever get, we will be off mission. Sometimes we're, uh, the reason we're not bold, as bold as we should be in our inviting is that some of us have been Christians for so long that we've forgotten what it's like not to have peace with God. We've forgotten what it's like not to have joy. We've forgotten what it's like not to have purpose, not to live with hope. Some of us, you know, we've all been, we've, all we've, maybe all we've known is following Jesus. Some of us are just too busy, we're too insecure, we're too distracted, we're too focused on the wrong things, and so consequently we're not bold. But that can change. So we need you to be bold in your inviting. Secondly, we need you to be bold in your volunteering. We have over 60% of our congregation serving on a volunteer team somewhere in our church ministry, and that's awesome. Most pastors would die for that kind of percentage, but there are a few who still sit on the sidelines. Now, if you're new to us, take your time and get acclimated. We, We totally get that. We encourage you to do that. But if you're sitting on the sidelines because you're busy, I understand that. But you've got to figure out a way to get less busy. That's not the life Jesus has called us to. Do you understand that every Sunday you are served by about 30 very busy people? It takes 30 to 32 people to make this happen on any given Sunday. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, we need you to get off the sidelines and get in the volunteer game. We need you to be bold in your volunteering, which means we need you to consider volunteering in an area maybe you never considered volunteering before. That's what we need you to do. And if you're like, I don't know about the kids, I'm not a kid person. Here's something I would encourage you to do. Become a kid person. Amen. And I, we laugh. Amen. I think Jesus was a kid person. Amen. I'm just going to leave it there. We need you to be bold because this is even more fun to talk about. We need you to be bold in your giving. You're like, really? Today you're going to talk about that? Yes, I am. Let me just say something really clearly. We need you to be bold in your giving. Listen, not because we need your money. And some people don't give because they walk in and they're like, whoa, look at this. They don't need our money. Look at all this luxurious accommodations we have here. (laughs) Until you sit down, you realize that chair's been sat on for 20 years. I've got, some, I've got some good news. We don't need your money. But if we're going to build a church and train leaders and engage more and more people in ministry, it's going to cost money. And if we were simply content to be a comfortable church, pay the staff, pay the energy bill, we're doing fine. But if we're going to leverage this opportunity that God has given us, it's going to cost money. The great news is the money's in the bank. It's just in your bank. I love to get you laughing while we're talking about money. It helps a lot. <laughs> For those of you who have faithfully supported our mission over the years with your faithful generosity, thank you, thank you, thank you. Fourth area, we need to be bold in your praying. You're like, oh, finally, one I can do. <laughs> Think about the person you know at work or in your neighborhood You can't ever imagine showing up at church. Pray for him or her every day. Pray for them every single day. We need you to pray boldly, because maybe no one else is praying for that person. Let's pray bold prayers. Like wherever you find yourself, come on, let's just like we can do this. We can pray bold prayers. We we have a short window. Like, we are blessed and we have an opportunity, and it's so unique, and I don't know if I can even exaggerate how unique our opportunity is, and we want to leverage it for everything we can for the sake of our community. The believers in the first century church, after Peter and John had been called in before the Sanhedrin and... Uh, they were kind of wondering what was going on with this all about. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, the church prayed, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And I love this verse. I love it so much. And I also love this one that kind of reflects back to that. The very last uh, verse of the book of Acts, which is the story of the first century, the first, you know, not first century, but first few years of the church, the, the writer describes the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And this is just days before he's executed. And Luke, the writer, says in Acts 28, verse 31, that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and t- about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, for the follower of Jesus, boldness is normal. It's how the church started. And to fall short of that is to really betray the people who gave their lives so that we would have the good news of Jesus. Like, aren't you grateful someone was bold with you? Aren't you grateful they kept giving you those CDs or cassette tapes or something, right? Giving you those books. And just so happened stuff was already underlined right? Pages were already dog-eared. Mm-hmm. Aren't you glad someone kept inviting you and inviting you and inviting you and inviting you? And then they invited your kids. They went behind your back and invited your kids. And that was cheating because now your kids want to come back because they had a good time. And, and now you're here and it ruined your Sunday fishing and it ruined your golf game and it ruined your weekend lawn care and it just ruined your Sunday morning, right? And you're glad You're glad because it's added so much value to your life because now you know what it is to have peace. You know what it is to have joy. You know what it is to have purpose. You know what it is to live with hope. The band and singers are going to come right now. And as they do, because we've all seen this happen before, they get up out of their seats, they walk to the front, they put their guitars on, they tune. We know how that works. So as they're coming, let's commit as individuals, as families, as a church, let's commit to praying bold prayers. Let's commit to giving boldly, to serving boldly, to inviting boldly, because we've invited to be a part of this thing that God has begun and will continue. The song we're going to sing says, You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. Because when God is moving, when God is working, when God is doing what God does, the only proper response from humans is to worship Him. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. You are here touching every heart, healing every heart, turning lives around. And maybe this morning, I actually changed the lyrics on the screen because we're going to sing this in one voice. We're going to sing, We Worship You. We're here today to celebrate God's faithfulness, to celebrate what God has done over the years. So we're going to come together and sing, We Worship You. Acts chapter 2 says this about the church in its very first days. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Let's continue
1: in that tradition. Let's lift our praise to God as we sing.